And uh, if you are here, and uh, you can turn to Psalm 20. And uh, if you have a Bible, if you don't have one, there should be one under the seat in front of you. You can grab one of those. And uh, Psalm 20, uh, as you know, we have been journeying our way uh, through uh, the Psalms for this summer. And uh, we've taken one Psalm and studied it. I did this Psalms through the summer because um, each week's a standalone lesson. And I know a lot of people have plans. and A lot of people can make some and they don't make all of the uh, services. So I thought going through the Psalm each week can be a reset. Each week can be standalone sermons. And so um, Psalm 20 is where we are this morning. And uh, I like to pick some Psalms that we know. Next week we'll be talking about Psalm 23. But I also like to t- uh, pick a few Psalms that maybe you don't read a lot or maybe you don't hear a lot. And so Psalm 20 is one of those you don't hear a lot. Um, it is one that's a great psalm, though, and I hope by the time we get to the end of this psalm that our hearts will be encouraged and that our um, spirits will be lifted before the Lord. So Psalm 20 uh, says this, For the director of music, a psalm of David. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desires of your heart and make all your plans succeed. May we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. Now this I know, the Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his, holy, uh, from his heavenly sanctuary and with, his, with the victorious power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. Lord, give victory to the king. Answer us when we call. You know, every season of life and usually any change in life brings excitement over things that God may do or things that you will face. But it also sometimes brings the awareness of opposition you will have. And that opposition sometimes will bring fear. Sometimes our hearts uh, really get excited, but then we also get gripped with fear because looking into the future as Americans or as individuals or just as Christians, sometimes it, we, we, we know there's going to be a battle. And we live in a wildly changing culture uh, and a way of life that lives uh, that that very uh, many times feels like we're explorers. And we get up every morning, we don't know what's going to be attacked that day or what danger may lie ahead. And we look to our marriages and we look to our children and we look to our our country and our family and we ask, what's going to be attacked next, right? Like what battle are we going to have to fight? What battle are we going to take a stand? And will my family make it? Will my family survive? Will my church survive? Will, will we as Christians be able to thrive or to still exist in this world or in our, in our culture? Well, the 20th Psalm is a powerful psalm. It is a psalm that is a psalm of a battle, a battle psalm. Uh, the nation of Israel would sing this and they would shout this and they would, they would do this in the face of peril. They were on the, on, the, on the brink of a battle, and they began to, to chant this psalm and pray this psalm. It wasn't just like a little custom on their part. I mean, it was something they believed. This was something that was bedrocked in who they, bedrocked in who they were and the expression of their trust in a living God. 
that we face this battle, but we know this for certain in our hearts. Like we know it's going to get rough. We know it's going to get hard. We know it's going to be a fight. But we have this chant. We have this heart. And, and it begs us the question for us as Christians, do we have a battle cry like that? I mean, do you have a battle prayer? When you know it's looming on the horizon and your heart is heavy and you may see a battle for your marriage, or you may see a battle for your family, you may see a battle for your, for your, for your career, and you see that the enemy is attacking or about to attack, do you have a place where you can go to call out on God and say, Lord, God, this is, I know who you are and I know you're going to fight for me. That's what we read right here in Psalm 20. This is a royal psalm. This is a psalm that, that was, was given by the people and by King David. And this psalm uh, falls into three divisions. The first five verses are people's prayers for the king. Then we see a response from David in verses 6 through 8. And then verse 9, you see a collective benediction or a collective shout from the people in agreement from who they are and the leader and who, what they believe in God. And it's a powerful psalm and it's a psalm that we should have. You know, it reminds me when I played football in high school, we had to play rival teams, you know. And as you would get ready for them rival teams, you know, all week you'd be talking about them. And you'd be pumping your teammates up, right? Like, you was telling the quarterback, man, you're going to throw for like five touchdowns, you know. And, I, and you're going to sack the quarterback. And you're going to intercept the ball. And you're going to do this. And you're going to do that. And then you have the pep rally, you know. And all the cheerleaders and all the people come out and they all shouting and cheering like, we're going to go into battle. We're going to win the war. We're going to whip this team, you know. And then it gets pre, uh, you know, pregame. And you get in the locker room. We're like, we got this. We're going to do it, you know. And you, you you run, out of, you run out onto the field and you're warming up and you're looking over like they're nothing to them. There's nothing to them. You're going to whip them, you know, like there's nothing to it. And then you, you have the song and then you have the anthem. You're like, here we go. It's time to get it on. You know, you're like, you're just so pumped up. You're so ready to get it on, you know. And I can remember in high school many times loving that because it would get us so pumped up and we were so ready to go out and play. And many times uh, we only lost a couple games in high school my junior, senior year. But I learned a, a, a very hard lesson in college. I can remember my first year in college, I was so pumped up being a freshman. And we thought we had put our all the work in and we were so ready to do it. We traveled over to a little town called Valdosta and we got there to play Valdosta State University. And we thought, man, we're going to whip them. We're going to beat them. Well, after they scored 63 straight points. <laughs> All the fight was gone, and we was back on the bus, limping it back to West Alabama. <laughs> but, but it doesn't always work out like that. It doesn't always work out ready. But, but the point being is that you, you have this battle cry. You have this, hey, we can do this. We know we've put the work in. We know we've trusted in you. We got all the pieces in place. Well, this is the royal psalm from them. This is the song that they have. And for us as Christians, we see as this instructs kings and this instructs priests and this instructs the people of God, we can take this and we can apply it to our lives. We can apply it to our lives collectively as the people of God, and we can apply it to our lives as Christians, as we are kings and we are priests, and we have this spiritual context of understanding the New Testament. Now, these are not just prescribed blessings that you do this and everything in your life is always going to be well and great. But this is, a, this is a royal psalm that we can come together and fall under this banner. We can have this anthem that we can pray. We can have this bedrock uh, battle cry to know that there's recognition that there's going to be trouble. That's what this psalm opens with in verse 1. It says from the people, he says, May the Lord answer you when you're in distress. He's talking to the king. He's like, May the name of God of Jacob protect you. 
So right from the beginning, it's God's people and God's leader, but there's a recognition of opposition. And I said this before, and I will say it again and again and again, because I want us to be prepared for this. And I think in Christianity, especially in our Western culture, we are so prepared for blessing, but we're not so prepared for battle. Like we got to realize that there is going to be battles and God's people will face many battles. We got to realize we're on a, we're not on a playground. We are on a battlefield. Like we've prepared ourselves for the cruise ship when we're really on a battleship, right? And anyone who's ever done anything for God, or if you've ever taken a stand for God in this world, you realize there's going to be opposition. You, you take a stand in your marriage to try to live for God. There's going to be opposition, you take a stand to, to, to raise your children in the, in the ways of God, there's going to be a battle out there. There are people in schools and people in education and people in those things ready to pull them away from God and pull them away from God's purpose for their life. And we got to stand the line. we got to stand in the battle and say, we're going to fight for this. We're, we're not just going to go that way. We want to fight for it. We want to battle the battle because we're ready for it. We're not overwhelmed with it. We're not stuck in a corner or hiding in a closet we are, we are ready to face the battle. One pastor said it this way. He said, you are either in a battle, you are heading into a battle, or you're coming out of a battle. And does that the way it feels sometimes? Like, you know, you've gone through these battles in your life and you realize that in our hearts and in our lives, it's not easy to fight battles. It's not easy to face battles. Some of the darkest days of my life has been looking at the looming battle coming forward and seeking God and saying, God, I need you because I know this is coming and I know it's going to be severe. And the battles looming in our world, in our country today is bigger than ever before. I can say the battle for a family is bigger than it's ever been before. The battle for your children is bigger than it's ever been before. My children face things in school that I've never faced before in my life. Not even as an adult, some things. And the things they tell me and the things that Courtney even hears as going into seventh grade as a sixth grader, things that she has faced and things that the world has pressed into her or is trying to get a hold of her heart. I've never faced those things before. And for me as a parent, I realize there's a battle there. I, I got to hold the line like I could tell that there's a battle that's going to be there. And in our marriages, the same way the, the world is trying to discount or devalue marriage. But yet, as we realize we have to fight for our marriage, we have to fight for our Christian marriage. We got to fight for these things. And the closer the world gets to God's judgment, the more opposition and wickedness we're going to face in this world. That's just the way that it is. And it's been like that before. And it's like this today. And tr certainly days of trouble are ahead. You can't escape it. It's going to happen, and we got to know how to deal with it personally, and we got to know how to do, deal with it corporately. And you say, well, how are we going to face it? Can we make it through? Can David make it through? Can the nation of Israel, fighting this battle, can they make it? Well, they tell him, first off, he says, in the name of God, in the name of the God of Jacob is where our hope lies. They make a declaration. You see, they say right off the bat, it's not, it's not going to be because of us. It's not the battle is going to require more than just David. Our hope and our trust rest in the God of Jacob. And he says, when you face dangers and you face the battle ahead, there's only one place to turn. It's to God, because he's the one who can help you. He's the one who can steer your course. And if you're not resting upon the God of Jacob, you're never going to make it. The psalmist makes a declaration, God is the one we will call upon, and he is the one where our hope lies. 
Regardless of how bad it gets, regardless of how big the battle is, regardless of who we face in our hearts, our hope is in the Lord. It is in the God of Jacob. And you know, for us, if we're resting in anything else, we're not going to make it. And I find it so interesting here as you study out this uh, this title of God, the God of Jacob. It's only used a few times, and I'm so uh, I, I'm so uh, overwhelmed how the Holy Spirit chose to use the the title of God here. There's two men in the Bible that's always encouraged me greatly. One in the New Testament is Peter. I like Peter because he he was a fisherman. You know, he was a big guy. You know, I think we'd be like eating a Cracker Barrel together, talking about the Lord or something. You know. And he was a fisherman. He had, he had calluses on his hands. He was a tough guy. He was a worker. But he also had the handicap of the congenital foot and mouth disease, right? Of which I suffered the same problem. Like sometimes you just got to say something. You say, oh, I probably shouldn't have said that, you know? But I love him. But also in the Old Testament, there's Jacob. And you remember Jacob, he was called the heel snatcher. Remember? He was called uh, the maneuverer, the manipulator, the wheeler dealer. He thought he was the big time operator, Miss Carol used a frame, uh, used a phrase a couple weeks ago that really spoke to my heart when she was talking to the ladies of Mother's Day. She said she was the master manipulator of her life. Like she tried to manipulate every situation to her understanding to bring it to the way that she thinks it should happen or try to set herself up for success. And that's what Jacob was doing. He, was, uh, he depended on his wits. He depended on his wisdom, his understanding of it. But the problem is when you do that, you shortchange God in your life. And you get your results instead of God's results. And so Jacob never lived up to what God had called him to do until finally, when we get to Hebrews, it tells us this about Jacob. It says, Jacob was a man of faith because he leaned on the top of his staff and worshiped God. He leaned on his staff. The very thing he used to manipulate his life, he realized he had to lay that down and he needed to trust completely in God. And you know how Jacob learned that? Jacob learned that because God put him through a set of series of battles in his life that he couldn't win. And he put him through a series that everything he manipulated all of a sudden began to go against him. And he set up this whole thing and he, double, he was double-crossed by a man that was even a big liar and deceiver of him. And he got double-crossed, and he, he had to go back and face his brother who he cheated, and he wrestled with God, and he wrestled with God, and God put his hip out of joint. And he finally got to the point and said, I'm set up, I'm dead, my brother will destroy me, God, only you can save me now. And that's exactly where God finally got Jacob to surrender to him. And through that process, Jacob understood that only God could help him. And we must get to that point as well. When we see these facing looming battles in our life, we got to realize I don't need to manipulate my way out of this. I need to trust in God. I need to trust in His wisdom. I need to trust in His strength. My hope comes from the Lord. And just like the God of Jacob needs to be our refuge, just as it was there, and as we surrender to God and we surrender His way, we say, God, you got this, and I don't have this. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to surrender to you, and my hope lies in who you are. And listen, for us as Christians, that's where our hope lies. Because this morning, what are you wrestling with? I mean, we all wrestle with things in life, right? I mean, we all worry about things. We all have fear in our hearts. Some of you may be here saying, you know, I'm just, I'm worried about my marriage. Like, are we going to make it together? Are we going to make it through this life? Are we going to make it through all the, the toils and the snares and the snags that this world gives in our marriage? Oh, I'm worried about my children. Is my children going to be able to face this world? Are they going to make it in who they are and how they're gifted? And how are they going to do this in their, in, their, in their life? Are you worried about your career? 
So many times we think, God, what is my plan? What is your plan for me? I can't see, I can't see the way through this career. I can't see this way through how you're going to provide for my family. And God, I want to try to manipulate this. I want to try to get a better job. I want to try to get this. I want to try to get that. But, you know, as we wrestle with them, maybe like Jacob, our hope shouldn't rest in what we can do. We got to get to the point to where we just lean on our staff and say, God, it's your battle. That's where my hope is, God. It's in you, and I know you will fight the battle. And so they proclaim that right off the bat. They say, we're going to see trouble, but God, our hope is in you. Then look at verse 2. It says, here's the promise. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. That's wonderful, right? Help from the sanctuary. The sanctuary is the place where people would go and meet with God. In the Old Testament, where the, uh, where the temple was and before that, the tabernacle, it's where the Israelite or the leader would go to God and get things straightened out. Like they would be, they would be down on the earth thinking one way and they would be thinking, what, would God, what was God's plan? What is his will? And then we'd go into the tabernacle. They go into the sanctuary, the place of God, and God would, uh, would, would, would correct the minds of the, of the leader or the people and then they would be corrected. Uh, psalm 73. We're going to study this psalm in depth. But this is a picture of what he's talking about here. Uh, He says that in this psalm, he says, I'm deeply troubled by the prosperity of the wicked. He says, I'm looking to the people of the world and they are wicked and and they're prospering, Lord. I'm serving you and I'm going backwards. I'm serving you and I'm sick. I'm serving you and I'm having all these troubles and trials in my life. And the psalm, uh, the writer of the psalm says that I'm looking to these things and the righteous are downtrodden, but the wicked are prospering. He's like, what in the world am I going to do? He's to the point where he's going to throw in the towel. Like my foot is going to slip. I'm going to fall off the wagon, so to speak. But that, then the scripture says he went into the sanctuary and God began to set his mind straight. And you know, that's what we need. We need God to set our mind straight sometimes. And in our life, even today as Christians, we have the help of the Holy Scriptures. Like our, the word of God is where we go to the sanctuary. You know, the Word of God is what illuminates our life. The Word of God is where we can make sense in this world. The Word of God is something that straightens our way of thinking. Because, you know, life is full of illusion. Life's full of deception. And, and we, we see things that they, the way they appear, but we realize they're not really that way. And the Word of God cuts through all of that. Like we can look to the ways of the world and we can say, look, the Word of God says this. And this illuminates our mind and it opens our hearts. And it amazes me as Christians even today. How, how many of us employ things in our physical life when we need help, but yet as, as spiritually, we don't employ them things as well either in our life as well. Like, you know, if we're if we our Internet breaks down at our house and you don't have a clue of how to fix it, what do you do? You call the cable company, you call the Internet company, they send out a technician and they fix your Internet so you don't miss an email or a status update on Facebook. Right. I mean, heaven forbid, if you miss somebody that had something to eat that you didn't know about on a on the night before or so. Right. Like that's very important. You got to have that. You got to have that Internet connection. Or if your if your pipes begin to leak, what do you do? You call a plumber. I don't know, my pipes are leaking, but I need to call a plumber because he will come and fix my pipes. Or if you have a, get a lawsuit, you call a lawyer. If your tooth hurts, you go to the dentist, right? I mean, it's practical. These are things that we do when we get in these troubles and we go to them and we know physically they're going to fix them. As a Christian, that's what we should do with the Bible. If our marriage needs something in it, we should go see what the Bible says about marriage. 
If we're facing a battle with our, with our families or with our kids or with, our, with the world, we go to the Bible and we look to it and we ought to open it up and we ought to ask God, give me wisdom from your word. Set my mind straight. I can't count the number of times that I have been disillusioned in this world and I've been discouraged or maybe even on the brink of spiritual depression and thinking that there's no hope and there's no chance and there's, that all these things are against me and all these things are bad in my life. And yet I've went into God's word and I start reading God's word and I find out a whole different story. Or even I go to church and I begin to hear God's word or I hear a preacher uh, preach God's word and all of a sudden it begins to transform my mind. It begins to set my mind straight. And then I say, that's why. That's why we got to dwell in God's word. That's why we got to get in God's word. That's why we got to know God's word. And not only know God's word to help us in, to send us help, but also he says support from Zion. That's another, Zion here is another word for uh, Jerusalem or the capital kingdom of, of the headquarters of God, which literally means the presence of God on this physical world. So he's saying here on the outside, in your situations, they look hopeless and helpless. But when you go to God and get your mind straight, and then you get help from the presence of God in your life, you get support from this invisible thing that the world can't see. Like we as Christians have the availability of us to be able to go into the presence of God. How do we have hope for our marriage? We find it in the presence of God. How do we have hope for our country? It's in the presence of God. How do we have hope for Christianity? It's in the presence of God. And as we go in the presence of God, it changes our heart. It brings us help. It begins to strengthen us. And I'll be honest with you. I don't know what people do uh, in this world without the presence of God in their life. I don't know what they do. As many times in my life, I've, I've seen people and I've witnessed people. And I know this even in my life. I don't know what people do without the presence of God when someone tells them they have cancer. I don't know what people do in the, without the presence of God when someone says that I, I don't want to be married to you anymore. I don't know what people do without the presence of God in their life when they lose a child. I don't know what the people do without the presence of God in their life because when you have access to the presence of God, you know it comes and it helps you. And the people of God are set proclaiming this. Our help comes from God. Our hope comes from what He is and what He's done. And we get in His presence and it begins to, to, it begins to work in our hearts and it begins to bring us help and it brings to bring us His presence in our life. And you say, well, I don't have access to God like that. Yes, you do. Look at verse 3 here. It's so interesting here. It says, may he remember all your sacrifices and accept all your burnt offerings. In the Old Testament, they had a different way. They had a system of sacrifices. They would have meal offerings. They'd have cereal offerings. They would have uh, sacrifices of bulls and goats and lambs and calves and pigeons and other animals. If you ever spent time reading through the Old Testament, you're like, what's the deal with all these sacrifices? Like you're always killing this and they're killing that and they're making these sacrifices. Well, that was a way of ceremonially making themselves clean before God. And as they were ceremonially cleaning themselves before God, they would be able to go in the presence of God and the priests would be able to go in the presence of God. They would be able to hear from the presence of God. Well, now in the New Testament, that was just a picture of what Christ did for us. You know how we have access to the power of presence of God in our life? Through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ has made a sacrifice for you and for me. And that guarantees that we have the opportunity or the availability to go into the very presence of God for ourselves. That it's not based upon my sacrifice, it's based upon his sacrifice. And in our lives, sometimes we think God hears us or he hears our prayers because of our performances. Like maybe if I'm a good person, I've done a lot of good things, God likes me. I'm in his presence or I can have his favor. No, the Bible says the opposite. He says, no matter who you are, if you've called on Jesus Christ and you trust in his sacrifice, you have access to his availability, to his presence and his power in your life. There's no hindrance to that at all. 
And in my life, I thank God for that. I thank God for that as a pastor. As when I stand up here to preach God's word to you and tell you what God's word says, I don't do it based on my own merits. I call upon God and his power and his presence because of what Christ has done for me, because of the sacrifice that he made, because he can, I can enter into that presence. And the writer comes to that little word. We talked about this last week, Salah here. And he says at this point, he's saying, stop and think about that. Like that's not something we should just blow by. The sacrifice that God has made through us in Jesus Christ is something that's not just a magic formula we tack on the end of our prayer, right? We don't just say, God, here's all my stuff in Jesus' name. No, it's the basis for our whole prayer. Like the very opportunity for you to call on God is because of the work that Jesus Christ has done for you. And I'll think about that. That's what the psalmist is saying. This ceremonial cleanness that we have is in through Jesus Christ. And for us, we don't gain access by our performances. We gain access because of what Christ has done for us. And if you're a Christian here this morning, you're looming and you're seeing a battle looming on your horizon and you need the power and you need the presence of God in your life. Guess what? You have access to it because of what Christ has done for you. You can go in the very presence of God because of the sacrifice Christ has made. And then look at verse 4. You start to see the results. They begin to, t- to tell David what's going to happen. They say, may he give you. He, they start with three maids. They say, may he give you the desires of your heart and make your, all your plans succeed. Uh, succeed. May, he, may we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. May, God, may the Lord grant all your requests. This is good because, you know, David was their leader. I mean, David was a man after God's own heart. David knew the people and the people knew David. And you know, that's what leadership really is. And it it always amazes me how people follow people that they don't know. Like for me in my life, it's hard for me to follow people that I don't know. But once you get to know someone and you know their desires and you have experiences with their life and God has put them in your life as a leader, man, that brings so much power in your life. That brings so much power in their life. And that's what they're saying about David. David, you trust us and we trust you. And we're praying that God brings you the desires of your heart because we know your desires is for all of us to succeed. And as the leader goes, we go. And we know that if God prospers you, he's going to prosper us. And we are confident in the character of David and who he is before God, that as he leads us, God will bless him and bless us. And and what a leader. I mean, what a challenge. If you are a leader, I mean, this is such a great leadership principle for you. That as you earn the trust of the people, that the people should trust you so much they want you to, to to succeed. And if you are a leader and you are one who has people who are who, who you are in, in care of or people who's behind you, that your desires for God and his purposes in your life should be pure and you shouldn't have selfish ambitions or you shouldn't have pride in your life, but you should desire the things of God so much that the people who lead, who follow after you will pray for you to succeed, to succeed. And for me, even for this as me as a pastor. You know, do you pray for me as a pastor? Because I need them, right? I mean, I want, to, I want to do the best. I want God to lead us. I want God to give me a vision. I want God to give me direction. I want God to give me power and wisdom to lead our church. And if you don't trust someone and you don't want to follow someone and you want to question or doubt someone, then you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be following after them. But if you do, you ought to pray for them. You got to pray that God brings success in their life. You got to pray that God leads them and God empowers them. And as you lead through that process, you see that. Listen, as a husband, 
You ought to pray for your wife to succeed. You ought to pray that, hey, I want the best for her because I know that's what's going to be best for my family. And that's going to be best for the will of God in her life as a wife. You ought to pray for your husband to be the spiritual leader he should be and say, God, give him all that he has in his heart's desire because I know that's what's best for our family. I know that's what's best for our life. And even as we come together, these people were praying for David because they said, as the leader goes, we know the people will go and we pray for David. Make his heart's desire come true, Lord. And they prayed for him and they, led, lead, uh, and they brought him before the Lord. And he, says, may, and he also says, may we shout for joy over your victory. This is verse 5. In the name of God, set up our banners. I think this is great because we see, we see this transition just from David prospering to the whole people prospering and the whole people praising God. They're excited for him. He's saying this victory is not just for one person. This is for all of them. This is for those who have fought the battle. Let me tell you, I've seen this work in, in, in God's kingdom. You know, many times in our lives, we think sometimes we may face a battle alone. But when you really pull back the veil, you realize that there are people praying for you. There are people serving you. There are people lifting you up in prayer. And when you finally really pull back the veil, you realize it wasn't just you going through that battle. You had a whole family of believers going through that battle with you. Like they were walking with you and they were, they were moving with you and they put blood, sweat, and tears in it with you. And as you come through that, not just you shouting for joy, but everyone shouts for joy. It's the battle cry of our heart that God has delivered not just one person, but all of us. And that's why it's so important to give testimonies of praise in my life. You know what I have no trouble doing? Telling all my complaints. Let me tell you, I can remember every one of them. Man, you let me go through a day and I could tell you from start to finish every single thing that went wrong in that day. I can. I can remember them and I can recall them. And they're usually the first ones I want to tell Aaron about when I get home to talk about. You won't believe what happened to me in this time. You won't believe this. And, you won't, and it's always complaints and griping and whining. I have no problem remembering those. You know what I do have to do? I have to remember the victories. I have to count my blessings. I have to name them one by one. I have to remind myself that as we come together and we share, we must share the victories that we have. And it's important for us as a church to come together. And when the victory comes, we ought to have joy over it. We ought to be joyful over those things. We ought to have joy to where, I love it, where it says to set up their banners. I mean, it's like they were proclaiming to the world. Hey, we, we are Christians, yes, and we have battles in this world, but our God delivers. I mean, when God provides for a family, we ought to hold up the banner and say, our God provides. Look how he provided for this family. Or when God delivers someone in their health, we ought to stand up and say, our God heals. Look how God healed this situation. Or when God protects a marriage or restores a marriage, we ought to hold it up and say, look how God restores marriage. Look how God does these things and we come together and we shouldn't just always come together for the griping and the whining. We should come together and shout for joy for the victory we have in God. We ought to say, Lord Jesus, this is what it is. And we have praise and we have testimony and we set up our banners. This morning, as you come in here, what banner are you holding up? Are you holding up a banner of faithfulness? Because let me tell you, God is faithful. God has been faithful. He will be faithful. And in your life, you may think, I have nothing that I can praise God for. Well, you woke up this morning, you had breath, and you came here this morning. God was faithful in that. And we had a lady in our early service 
She's 96 years old, and she gave a praise report and said, I get up on my, my own every single day, and I breathe my own air. <laughs> I mean, what a praise, right? I mean, 96 years, and we can come together. And we, so many times we forget to shout with joy, and we forget to, to set up our banners of His love and His mercy and His faithfulness. This morning, someone gave a praise of her husband uh, had, 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 has not had a drink of alcohol in three years after having trouble and issues with alcohol. I mean, what a praise. I mean, what a hold up a banner that God delivers. And we come together and he's saying, this is what we want the world to see, that our God delivers. And we lift up our banners and we celebrate that we have joy. And in verse six through eight, we see David responding. And David comes and he says, now I know this, I know. Look at verse six. Now this, I know. The Lord gives victory to his anointed. So the people, and now David responds. I know the Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his holy sanctuary and the victorious power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. Man, he hadn't even been in the battle yet, right? But he comes, he says, I know this true. I'm declaring this because I know this is true because I've been there before. You know how David knew this? David knew this because when we first comes on the scene, we realize that he goes out to face Goliath. You remember the story of him and Goliath? He was going against this army. He was going against this giant. And they had thousands of soldiers. And they had this giant that was over seven foot tall. And he had a big sword. And he was a skilled, he was a skilled killer. I mean, he was, a, he was a champion of all. He was a champion of the Philistines. He, he had never been defeated. He had defeated every person he ever had went against. And he had killed them. And here comes David, just a young boy. And guess what? He didn't know how to swing a sword. He didn't know how to, to fight in any type of way in the military sense. So they tried to train him. They tried to put all this stuff on him. He says, no, I'm just going to go. And he went out there with a sling and some stones. You remember that? And he gets out before the giant and the giant cheers and, and all of his people crowds. And he looks at him and says, you're a joke. You're just a little boy. You're like a dog coming at me with some sticks. He's like, you don't stand a chance. And David looks, and I love his response. He says, you come at me with a spear and a sword, but I come at you with the power of the name of God. And man, he let that stone go and sunk that thing right in his forehead. And he went down dead as a doornail. And David got so excited around him, he cut his head off. I mean, that sounds like Braveheart or something, does it not? I mean, that's cool. That's awesome. And David's like, man, if God can do that, this is why I know God can deliver. Because I've seen him do it over and over and over again. And we can trust in him. And I know he's going to do it again. And he says, some... As they look to this, uh, as they look to this, uh, this battle looming, he's saying some may trust in chariots and they may trust in their horses. That was similar to what we might say today with some trust in their air power or their tanks or their artillery. He's saying they may trust in that, but we trust in the name of the Lord. That's what he's saying. And for us as Christians, so many times we, we don't look at this like horses and chariots. But so many times what we go through, we may look to things of the world. We may say, hey, I'm trusting in my possessions. I'm trusting in my money. I have collected enough money that I'm going to make it through this recession. And I got enough money that I can do this and I'm going to trust in my money. Let me tell you, you don't need to trust in your money because your money will let you down. Your, your possessions may come and go. Or some people may say, you know what, I'm trusting in my, in my career. And you get up and you go to work. And as long as I have my career, every single day I can provide myself. And every single day I can be taken care of. Let me tell you, God can take your career, or your career can go away in a moment. 
I mean, one letter can come and say, we don't need you anymore. Our companies have merged and now we don't need you anymore. Some put their trust in government. Well, never mind about that one. Anyway, some people may put their trust in education. Some people may put their trust in buildings or personalities. And listen, none of those things in of themselves are wrong. But if that's where your trust lies, then they are wrong. It's okay to have money and possessions. But as long as money and possessions don't have you. That's not where your trust should lie. It's okay to have education. It's okay to have a, a belief in government and those things uh, that can help those and help our, help our culture or, or, or our civilization. But when your trust only lies in that, that's where the trouble comes from. David's saying, yes, those things are those things. But yet for us as Christians, we know at the end of the day, I'm trusting in God and God alone. And that's where we got to get in our life. You know, really, our battles in life doesn't belong to us. And yet we may fail, the things of this world may fail, but God gets you to a point where you uh, realize that God is all that you have. And when you get to that point, guess what? You realize that God is all that you really ever needed. He's there in my life. There's been time when I've got to the end of the rope, and guess who is the knot at the bottom of the rope that kept me from falling off? It was God. And I realized that, hey, I could trust in all these other things. And you may think you can manipulate your world and guide your world and think you can take on these battles of your own, but I'm going to tell you, you can't. You can't do it. And when you get God where he's supposed to be, don't trust in those things. Don't trust in the things of this world. Trust in God. He is the one who will see you through. And David proclaims in verse 7 and 8, he says, they will collapse and fall, but we shall stand upright. And he's saying they will fall and they're going to have their end and they're going to collapse, but we're going to stand. And then in one last benediction and triumphant shout together, not just the people, but David together in verse 9, Lord, give victory to the king. Answer us when we call. He says, God, this is our prayer and we're calling out on you that we've put all our chips in your hands and we know that you're going to deliver and God, give us this victory. We're ready to face the battle no matter what lies ahead. And listen, maybe in your life this morning, you come in here and you realize that you've got a battle ahead. Maybe you realize it's with your health. You know, one year ago, you couldn't told me that my life would be radically changed. And you come in here and you say, you know what, I, I know that I, I have to do this and I see this health battle looming on uh, the horizon. Or maybe it's with your family. You say, you know what, I see this coming for my children and for my, for my, for my marriage and I know this is looming. Or maybe you checked your 401k before you walked in here. And you realize there's going to be a battle for my finances and God providing for me and, and, and providing for my life and my family. Listen, you see that battle looming. Let me tell you, don't trust in the things of the world. Don't, don't face that future alone. As Christians, we have access to God's availability and his wisdom and his strength. And just like David, we can stand and we can have hope and we can have peace in the midst of looming battles because of who he is and what he's done for us. And we can lift this place up. and We can lift our hearts up this morning and we can shout victory to the king for the Lord will answer us when we call. And that should be our prayer and our heart's desire. And so however you came in here this morning, I hope you leave with a little more encouragement, a little more understanding of what God can do in your life when you face the battle, because you're going to face battles in this life. I love what one pastor wrote. He said, here's a prayer for Psalm 20. He said, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. The name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. Zion. 
May he remember all your offerings and regard your, with your favor all the sacrifices of God. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. And may we shout for joy over your victory. And in the name of God, let's set up our banners and sing it as high and as loud as we can that the Lord will fulfill all the desires of your heart. I mean, what a prayer. Man, I pray that for you and I pray that for me this morning as we consider this psalm in our life. Let's pray together this morning.